good. So, alhamdulillah. So, um, I'm talking to Maysoon El Gomati, um, a teacher or an educationalist, should I say? But maybe you can tell us a bit about yourself, actually, uh, Maysoon. That might be better. Um, yeah, so I've been a teacher for about 15 years now. Um, my background is primarily history and humanity, so geography and RE as well. But um, Secondary school? Um, secondary school, yeah, 11 to 18. Um, okay. But I should say for about a decade now I've taught English, and that's primarily where the jobs are now, so I primarily teach English, actually. Okay. Um, so, yeah. um, and, and all over, so in the north, uh, in the south of England, uh, and um, a little stint um, abroad as well in an international school. So, yeah, I think I've seen a, a good variety of, of different types of schools. So, yeah, it kind of gives me a little bit of a new, unique perspective, hopefully. Okay, well, obviously I want to get your take on... Um well, the sort of current situation, we've had lockdowns and pandemics and fear and isolation and scare and schools closed and exam results um, that were or were not, <laughs> you know. So um, I, I want to pick your brain first from a teacher's point of view. Uh, where should we start? Should we start with uh, the announcement of the pandemic? Yeah, that was, uh, that was quite an unusual time. I think a lot of us in the run up to it, expected schools to, to shut but definitely not for this long because I think really yeah, all over the country no one really knew how, how bad it was going to get but as the, as the weeks drew on and we remained open um, and then obviously we you know you, you obviously you, you see it in the footfall of children so that you know there's less of them coming to school and I think by the end of the, the last, last week we barely had um, any students in because you know kind of was that climate of, of fear and you know, it was a real, real fear that people felt an anxiety and then switching to online was unusual i think for a lot of us um you know especially the kind of professional room it's only a lesson we deliver face to face we've never been asked or anything like that before um and in one sense i feel we did get to see a different side of students so we did get to you know sometimes when students reaching out to you a lot more and communicating with you and really want to kind of ask questions that maybe they wouldn't have done in the classroom i thought there was positives in that um, and I still taught a full timetable, so I was expected to be logged on all day and um, would reach out to any uh, comments and queries students had. So I feel in terms of that, I mean, you can only do so much. I mean, some students chose not to engage, and I, I appreciate it was an unusual time, and I don't think parents should really have expected to be teachers uh, at home. Um, it's a challenge. A lot of parents you know, have their own lives. Uh, they're either working or trying to run a household and often more than one child. So I feel a lot of... Um, parents um yeah really felt the struggle of it but i think one thing i kind of always want to communicate was that they weren't really expected to be the teacher you know, well, that, that was actually part. something i wanted to um you you mentioned it in yeah. that, that facebook post you um did the other day the um the video yeah. and you said and you said um teachers and parents are not expected to be teachers and i thought well in a sense um i thought well who else is supposed to be and i i'll, I'll put some context around that um when my mm -hmm. eldest son was very young, before starting school, we we took him to the, what would that be, prep school, whatever. And um, I said, yeah. um, we want to send him part time because, you know, we want to continue teaching at home. And the, uh, the head teacher said to me, oh, we're not sure about that because um, you may teach him something that, you know, is not in agreement with what we teach. And I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought, isn't that mm -hmm. the other way around? Isn't it supposed to be me? you know worried about what you teach rather than you worried about what I teach my own child and um mm -hmm. and that was probably one of the catalysts for us home educating our children actually but um 
So, um, yeah, just that point. You you said, so what are parents supposed to be then in that sense? Um, I think you're raising really interesting issues. And I think this is kind of where I kind of, I'll talk with uh, metaphorical hats on, shall I say. So in one hat, with, you know, as an educator that's, that, that, that's part of the system, as it were, and it is a system, let's, let's be really honest about that. Yeah. Um, I would say that um, I wouldn't expect teacher, parents to be teachers in the same way that, that, that we are, that, you know, for example, they spend a full hour going, you know, sat with their child and going through every single bit. Cause I think that's quite difficult and challenging. Another aspect, as a, as a woman that um, understands the education system um, and has my own particular views, um, I actually know a lot of people who homeschool their children. Um, it's something I've, I've spoken to a lot of friends about over the years, and people actually often come to me for advice because, in one sense, I think homeschooling your child is beneficial, and I think there's lots of positives around it. But I do, uh, I'm really open about the fact that I know within the school system, it is, you know, some people do look down on it and it, they have a different perspective, and I think it depends on who you are as a person individually. So um, as a person, the woman of faith, you know, I am a Muslim and that, 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 that drives a lot of my own kind of personal choices. And I know that what I would want for my own children in the future would be to um, definitely incorporate some homeschooling. I wouldn't want to just kind of send them into um, a, a school where they just become a figure. And I think that even that children nowadays are just being a figure from statistics. Um, and that's quite damaging. And I think the point you made about you know what's in agreement you know what actually really should be a parent's point of view and i agree with that and it should be when you choose, when you're choosing a school i think the common narrative now is that people are choosing you know quote unquote good schools or outstanding schools mm. um it's it, you know you're shopping around for for, for 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 what's best for your child in that sense however i i do see it differently i don't think that sometimes these schools are quite healthy the environment can be quite either competitive or um um, well, that, that's interesting. Challenge. You said competitive. Mm-hmm. You said, yeah, I think because when a school gets to a particular um, grade, uh, it either wants to maintain that grade or it wants to improve on it. Uh, and okay, um, I, 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 I see what yeah. you mean. Sorry, I, I, when you said competitive, I was saying that you were saying that the school environment is competitive for children, which well, it, I particular I I agree with. Um, and actually, but the criticism now of schools is that they're not competitive you know they they don't have sports days or if they do everybody gets a prize for coming first or tenth um and things like that whereas many of us sort of old school think well you know it's part of being school was competitive you know you wanted to be first in your class first in the running race first in maths first in um so yeah so i was surprised you mentioned the word competitive in that sense (laughs) I think, yeah, I think because I feel like if, if you're looking at it in terms of, again, like a system, most schools now are part of an academy. And so that academy is, you know, linked to other schools. And then when you have your training page, you're actually part of, I mean, I've, I've been to one, you're, you're literally talking about hundreds of people. Um, and it's I, I, that kind of system I, I don't like because I don't really think that it's one size fits all. Mm-hmm. I think healthy competition is, is really uh, important. I think I know where you're, where you're coming from in terms of, yeah, sometimes some people can just kind of give, prizes just to, to taking part I mean that doesn't you know you don't you don't learn about life you don't learn about disappointment and I think life is not supposed to be lived on this kind of constant high it you know there, there will be disappointments actually it's better to learn it in a really healthy environment um yeah. when you're younger um the competition I'm talking about is that if you're just seen as a statistic and you're trying to force you know something like you know a, what is it it's a you know a, a round peg into a square hole it doesn't doesn't work mm. like that and every child has its individual needs and I think sometimes 
and you're just seen as a statistic. Um, and, you know, phrases like, for example, I don't see a person's colour, which we banded about a lot. I don't see the fact that you're different just because you've got a different name. And actually, the distinctives need to be recognised. I mean, sometimes, um, you know, if you're in a second school, for example, you've got um, uh, you know, lots of children coming into your classroom on a daily basis, and by the end of the week, maybe you've seen around 200. But how many of them do you really know, and how many of them do you have an actual relationship with? Because if you see them once a fortnight, which if you're mm. a teaching humanities subject, a non-core subject, just likely you do, and you don't really build a relationship with them. And I think that just because somebody, for example, I mean, I'm, 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 let me use myself. So I'm from a, a, a bilingual background, so we, we speak um, Arabic at home. Um, and then English at school, um, and sometimes English at school at home, just to kind of let to help out because of times where there was a little bit of a kind of a, a conflict, and it was, you know, there can become some confusion. We also went to the local mosque, and we would um, to learn from Quran Arabic as well. So there's all those different elements. But when you look at it in a school environment, um, you probably just think, okay, well, yeah, they can speak good English, they can read really well, that's fine. But there's lots of nuances about that. There's loads of things that people don't sometimes understand. Some households, actually, they do just speak their home language and they, they don't speak English, for example. So when they go to school, there are difficulties and differences. I remember a lot of phrases being used as a child and I was really confused and I wouldn't really be understanding what the teacher was talking about, but I didn't, you know, I was quite young, so I didn't have that confidence. But actually, what do you mean by better late than never, for example? That phrase just threw me at the child. And it took me a long time to figure it out and I had to get the confidence to figure it out. And I think it's, it's a subtle piece. And I think especially with the age that we're living in now, there are more um, children from an immigrant background come to this country um, and they need a lot of looking after and a lot of care and sometimes it could be a special need for example so whether it's dyslexia or dyspraxia or it could just be like a mild learning disability okay i'm going to ask you about that actually about, about special needs how, how special are the special needs you know you often talk about people saying oh there wasn't um you know it wasn't adhd in my day <laughs> you know you just had to get on with it mm. or whatever um yeah. So, you know, I know I don't want to, I am putting you on the spot, but I, you know, I'm not saying, but how, um, how, and I know you've actually worked at a school or a, a, a unit or something where you had, well, sort of special needs schools or special children in some way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So how, 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 how special is special needs? Is it too wide or is it, um, is it too wide? Think... Is it one term catch all <laughs> or is it, what is it? No, I think it's, I mean, it's, again, it depends on how things are, are diagnosed and tested and when when it's discovered. Um, I do think it's a really important issue. I mean, I come from a culture that, um, you know, when I, and I taught out in, uh, in in Libya, and for example, you know, that it's not something when I was there about a decade ago, even though it was an international school, maybe an international setting, we, we were aware of it as international teachers, but within, you know, Certain cultures, it's it just it's it's just seen as you know like one size fits all. You get in there, you do your exam, and that's it. But actually, there there, there are lots of nuances within it. So, for example, if somebody is dyslexic, um, even the colour of the paper um, can have a huge effect. So often, people with dyslexia will say that if they are reading something on on white coloured paper, it's almost like the letters are jumping about, and it's really hard to focus. But um, so one, of the, I did work in a special school for a time, and we were um, expected to print everything on buff-coloured paper, which is a little bit—it's almost like, like recycled paper. It's a little bit almost just off-white, kind of cream, but it, it really okay. helped to, to settle um, the reading. Um, so that made it um, a lot easier to read, even in terms of our displays. For example, the colours that we use—I think it was blue and green and things that weren't considered what we would say too busy. So not too much amount of information overload. You know, lots of visual pictures 
so, so, writing. So, so the question there then is, is I'm just mm. throwing back in, you know, in the olden days then, whatever, you know, in, mm. was it that, I so think, is yeah. it that, um, is it that because you couldn't be diagnosed in this way, you got over it and just got on with it, <laughs> you know, no, or was actually, that's why we had, a, we failed, I think we failed a lot of children. Oh, I think okay. We failed a lot of, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's in a, in a, in a, I don't want to kind of ask the word fail actually is, is, is loaded. But what I mean by that is in some instances, if a child is, is saying to you, I, I'm, and finding something difficult, then we need to respond to it. I'm not saying the system we have now is perfect, uh, but I feel like years ago, um, where you know the teacher was kind of very much an authoritarian figure, uh, it was very much kind of chalk and talk, as we would say that you know it, the teacher kind of dictating things, and you were just there to kind of listen and follow orders, and children's voices really weren't respected. Um, the balance has shifted now. Um, I would say to the point that maybe teachers aren't respected, but that's a whole other argument. Um, <laughs> but if a child is, is, is saying to you, actually, I'm struggling with this, um, and or a child is really, um, we're often taught that if, if a child is uh, lacking focus, um, is playing up in class, that's usually to mask something else. Uh, and that's why I don't like what I call these kind of factory systems where you've got, you know, almost 2,000 or 1,500 children in a huge uh, setting because you don't get to have that personal relationship um, with a child. If you have a, 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 you know, you see your children, your, your students regularly. So I teach English at the moment. So um, I would often see those, you know, the, the same students pretty much every single day. And you get a real feel for them in the morning, in the afternoon, you know what they struggle with and you get an understanding for how they're right. And sometimes um, you'll see that they're able to articulate things beautifully, but it's a real struggle to put it down on paper. And then, you'll start looking at that and understanding why and picking it apart and you often find that it could be um, either poor fine motor skills, it could be the fact that a child is dyslexic, uh, it could be um, a fact that maybe they do have ADHD and it's really hard for them to often kind of autism and really hard for them to put down what, what they've got verbally and what they've got in their head onto a piece of paper and they either need more assistance from the teacher or they need a teaching assistant. I mean, we understand special needs so much more nowadays. However, there's still, especially when it comes to girls and autism, there's still a lot that we don't understand and, and that's developing. And I think it's really healthy to say, actually, let's look at kind of getting these barriers to learning. And even culturally, you know, if you have come from a war-torn country, for example, you probably find that prior to prior to arriving in the UK, your, your education would have been disrupted for, for, for many years anyway. And then if there was a special need, that wouldn't have been picked up on. And then you also got trauma. So the sort of, I work not going to go sort of into trauma so much yet, because that's, that's really obviously very something very special. But in yeah. terms of people playing up in class and uh, students, I mean, mm. you isn't it sometimes total just boredom for some? Uh, do, 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 is that ever? Is that ever? noted down as a as a as a behavior mm. pattern that they're bored in class they're not well this is, well the way that we're, we're we're taught to see it as educated is well actually they're either so it's either the work is too challenging or it's not challenging enough there's all of those kind of things but okay I think the terminology okay so a different terminology in that sense yeah i mean i think sometimes the children just quite boisterous and that's that's just is you know sometimes um some children just you know they want to come to school and they, they want to chat all day and not i made and that, but that's another aspect of it i also think that okay well, so so the, i get okay i get i i get that so there's i i, I get and i and i've seen it from the other side obviously and you know you know i've seen it and and you know the exclusion rates of you know black boys and so on and 
I just had a nephew just gone through GCSEs now, whatever, and um, yeah. and I see um, <clears throat> and I see certain patterns. Um, I get it that it's hard for teachers, so I know there's an element of just trying to you know control the class. Unfortunately, yeah. I see I see that element. Um, but doesn't it? Do you do you? Is it also that too many people are kind of forced to go to school that we don't? There are not. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about from ages. 11 maybe you know to 13 14 is it that perhaps maybe even at that early stage school isn't you know secondary school is not you know necessarily mm. for every for all of them is that is that could that be true and um, i do think that's true actually and again that's obviously something very controversial uh to say as a teacher but i always say i kind of feel like i've got like one foot in the education system and one foot hopefully grounded a little bit in reality um i think yeah i think you know one size does not fit all and we're trying to you know ram all these children into this system and it's very much a system it's, you know every school has its policies and every school has its you know um you know way of doing things and you're sat in a classroom i don't think i could do it as an adult to be sat you know, listening to somebody or different types of maybe five different people in a day um, for an hour and expected to give a full hour and then just have these small pockets of break. I, I, I think I'd really struggle with it. Um, so, um, yeah, and I think we don't also value the vocational aspect, you know, that actually some children don't. And I think you, I remember a, a colleague telling me that years ago there were children who really struggled to be in the classroom and actually they had a provision for them where they would be working from quite a young age and okay. doing an apprenticeship. Um, doing something quite, you know, so they're working towards something, whether that's mechanic or whether that's, you know, hairdressing, whatever, something that they, that they already knew there were certain things they didn't want out of school. So I feel like the core things, yes, we do need, uh, you know, English is really important and maths is important. Um, but again, just sitting this one exam that everyone's expected to kind of sit the same way, it doesn't work. I mean, you need like a foundation exam, it's a little bit um, easier mm-hmm. to access for some students. And then obviously, you know, that, the higher papers and whatnot. Um, but yeah, being inside of school all day long, I mean, we have um, the different types of learner, for example, learner types that we have. Mm-hmm. And one of them is kind of like, you know, I think it's called uh, naturalistic, so kind of being outside a classroom setting, so actually being outside in nature, um, physically doing something. That is, that, that, that's just how some people okay. prefer to learn. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, yeah, if you know your child really well and you know they're really struggling, and I think... You know, the issue you said before about the exclusions like black boys, for example. So I've, I've come across um, studies as uh, as an incapacity, but teaching special educational needs. And, and that is actually reality that often uh, minority children, black boys especially, will get labelled with um, a particular need that doesn't really, it's not actually, it's not a label that, that's true for them. Or often well, it is a label. <laughs> Well, it's a, it's a label that's not, that's not there, but it doesn't have to be rooted in, in reality. I mean, often, okay, yeah, that's, that's what I yeah, get. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, like that kind of. And also, there's this thing about, I mean, you, you see in how children spoken about, um, I often like to be kind of a background person, kind of listening to conversations and then react when I, when I need to. Um, but there is, there's a difference in how minority boys, especially, are seen, are seen as more aggressive, are seen as more threatening, whereas I know of a woman that that, that that comes from a minority background and also having just lived life and you just you know people, you know that actually it's some people are just more culturally boisterous and it's interesting how certain cultures uh, are seen as, even if they're loud, they're still seen as passive, but other yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. individuals, it's got the aggressive element. So there's, there's yeah. lots of things to kind of tick and that's, you know, this whole kind of, 
you know, I think over lockdown, we had a lot of interesting conversations where we wanted to kind of I don't know, either decolonize the curriculum or, or, or have more effective diversity training. Um, I think it's going to be really uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I'm not sure that the momentum is, is, is there for it anymore. It's almost like, you know, September's here, so it's business as normal and as usual. So, so then if the, um, going with then, okay, coming back to the whole, well, I was going to come back and talk to you about the importance of languages, but I'll, I'll talk about the curriculum uh, or finish with that. But um, mm. in terms of the whole now, you, you're, 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 you're talking about schools reopening now. So mm. um, there's the whole thing of... Um, the measures, if you like, the the measures to do with, you know, handling of this COVID-19 pandemic that's going around. And, and bearing in mind, people have different views. You know, some people think it's a um, hundred times worse than the government is saying, you know, and um, the government is mad to, you know, to be even easing any restrictions on the lockdown. And there are another set of people who think it's, you know, um, pretty much nothing happened. It's all made up there is no pandemic you know kind of extremes almost um mm-hmm. so um so you're going back to your school and you and you um you you were talking about people being worried about the safety measures and children themselves being worried perhaps someone takes off a mask or they're too close mm-hmm. to people um so um yeah so what's your take then on all these on all these safety measures um Mm. Is it are they going too far? Are they not going far enough? Or you know, because people are scared, aren't they? Yeah, people people are scared, and I think we sort of kind of like deal with that reality. Of, you know, also kind of picking apart why people are scared. I think as a minority woman, I definitely think um, there's a bit more apprehension. I think because for some reason, it, it, it when when minorities are together, it, it it tends to be uh, a lot more fatal, uh, and that's that's just a reality and that's you know the stats are there to prove whatever the reason is for that 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 is a reality so i feel like um it is something to to try and pick apart so i did this talk of the day for 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 a a group on that i was requested to do it for on on facebook i did on facebook live um but i was also trying to explain that there's it's very very different what's happening in primary schools where it's a bit more controlled and measured and you can literally be in a bubble and that's fine it can be like one teacher and teaching assistant with the same children all day in secondary school, that's that's very very different. Mm. From what I've seen so far, so I did, I've only delivered one session so far, and that was um, just prior to um, uh, you know, to, um, to the holidays, kind of um, coming in and summer holidays and whatnot. Oh, a live and session that, with real students. I mean, not not on. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. I went into to school, and the measures there, you know, actually after having done it, it definitely eased my anxiety, but that was very much a one-off. It was only one year group. It was only myself and two of the colleagues in that entire block in that subject so are you um, worried are you worried about going back then into the classroom now i think there's an element there is an element of that just because there'll be way more children now because you know when i when i did that one session it was very kind of controlled as i said it was just what it only had like maximum 15 children i didn't even get that many turn up um and so yeah that was uh that was easier i think the difference is it, it's you know it's things like managing corridors it man i mean you know, I mean, I don't think masks are going to be expected in the classroom, uh, and it's not affecting if everyone's wearing it anyway, and that's fine. But it's about that boundary. So will will children respect that boundary? It, it, it only takes you know a few people to be careless in a school of almost a thousand people um, for something to happen. And I think inevitably people do get sick because we all know that the first kind of half term, um, everyone picks everything up, you know, you're all being... Yeah, but school is notorious, <laughs> isn't it? That's where, you know, where everything spreads from, it's tick, well, you know, lice, whatever it is in the hair, whatever it is, it's, it's at school, yes, it spreads, yes. and, and all kind of things, <laughs> so... Um, yeah, 
Okay. Um, so there is an element of, I suppose, you know, I think as long as people are cautious, I do realise and recognise that schools need to, to reopen. However, it should also be very much looking at statistics and, and, and hopefully there's transparency um, with that because I think that sometimes, um, I think statistics that are reported, but it's it, it been reported quite cleverly, I think, sometimes, and, you know, um, and, I, and I think we just, yeah, there just needs a bit more transparency um, uh, in that. Um and I kind of I do think there probably will be another lockdown. I think it's kind of inevitable. Okay. I don't think this thing's going to happen soon. Okay, the prophetess of gloom. No, um, <laughs> doom and gloom. Um, <laughs> in terms of you, you mentioned earlier about um, people not respecting students, not respecting teachers, or people learning by um, you know the they there was a bit of fear of the teachers that people had, or the mm. way they taught. Um, so just talk about. Um, this thing of teaching, as people call it, learning by rote, you know, that uh, mm. um, is that is that frowned upon now in sort of the modern teaching? It is. It is. And also, I mean, if I think back to my own kind of school, and especially um, primary school, yeah, you do kind of, you know, it, was, it was more that kind of culture where, you know, the, the teachers, this is one authority figure and, 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 and it's almost, they don't know, it's, it's almost like an element of fear with, with some teachers. And that, that, that isn't healthy for anybody. So I think that, but now that's kind of gone, that's, that's a positive thing. Well, I know, I, I, know like, I instilled a, an element of fear amongst a lot of the children I taught, so I'm not so gone. <laughs> To this day, I think. <laughs> I think it's an interesting thing because I think culturally, I mean, I come from a, from a culture that, that that still would expect, um, even even myself as an adult, to, to respect other adults. And there's a way of, you know, interacting and discussing and, and speaking. So, for example, if I was to speak to, you know, somebody within the community of, who's older than me, there's, 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 a, there's a way of doing that that's a little bit more formal than there would, you know, somebody who's younger than me or somebody who's a peer. And I think that's really... Uh, that's that's something that kind of doesn't really exist um, in kind of like you know, just general modern society anymore. And maybe people see that as a little bit traditional. But I, I like that. I like the fact that that you know there's, there's respect there. But I also bring bring that element of respect into the classroom. And often one of the first things I will say to students is um, that you know that I would I'm, I'm open about I need to show them respect. And if I want something from them, it's kind of you know please and thank you and all that kind of stuff. And then I expect that back because I feel that nowadays children probably don't get that. Um, at home, so I think it's a conversation that needs to come uh, from the teacher. And often you see things that are quite inappropriate in how they speak to each other, uh, or how they might speak to another adult. And you do have to stop a child and say, actually, that's not how we speak to other people. That's not how we speak to adults. And you have to have that conversation. And that's kind of part of what education is all about. But it also links back to the thing I said earlier about parents not expected to be teachers, because I think again. A parent expected to be a teacher is something that comes from a cultural perspective or a faith perspective, and some people still have that. But the reality in modern Britain that that isn't the case, and and it causes a lot of anxiety to people. So I feel like it's almost like you you want the kind of the, the, the positive things from from modern society and positive elements from what you know is a little bit more old school, a little bit more traditional, and try and mesh it somewhere uh, in between. Because again, I always think that you know when I go into uh, or anybody goes into a classroom, if that person doesn't have good etiquette, then especially if you're in a primary school, goodness me, and your child is spending all day in the adult in an adult company, you'd hope that that person has good values and etiquette and is respectful, and there isn't that cultural fear because when there is, that child really can't can't learn, can't access. Uh, and can't be the best version of themselves. So it's, uh, yeah, I think the that's kind of why for me I really respect homeschooling because I think if you get the foundations when you're younger, 
can carry that confidence. Okay. All right. So yeah. then, um, okay, that's so. What about you know what the question then? People homeschooling a lot of it. We talked about this in the, the show last week, actually. But um, what people should be teaching, or what you should be? I mean, I spoke about it as the things you should ensure your child learns. You know, obviously, behaviour is is the, the key thing that comes from the home. But there are also practical mm. things. You know, like learning to count. You know, arithmetic and so on. And and mm. and I talked about because um, I've I've taught maths a lot. Of I've taught maths. I've taught English. I've taught history. In fact, even um, history sort of mm. off my head. But um, and and I have an idea about mathematics and I think what children need to learn. And I and I think it's you know, in a sense, I I based it around arithmetic. You know, and to add, subtract, multiply, and divide with whole numbers, fractions, mm. decimals, um, negative numbers, etc. And then you've got a really good tool. For everything else and then of course there's geometry so i have an idea of kind of what's important and mm. and i see with mathematics in particular that it's about practice that, um you know you, you become good at maths by practice and you become you know bad at maths by lack of practice if you like and also you know mm. not seeing things through not that ability to to look at it from another angle keep you know so impatience in a sense so mm. i talked about the mathematics so in terms of um, and and I and English, I just talked about as your mother tongue that everybody should master their mother tongue, and I thought mm. that that included the literature in your mother tongue because you know mm. that literature, you know what they call the classics now in English, is part of your um, you know the mother tongue in English, and talked about you know and mm. rhetoric and debate and things like that. So I talked about English. In terms of history, you may differ. You can come back on that in a minute, but um, in terms of history. What what do you see as as being important to learn in history? I mean, you may have specific things. You know, you may say that you know World War Two is important, or you may say it's, or you may frame it in a different way. How would you? What's important to to learn in history as a history mm -hmm. teacher? What's okay? Yeah, we're going to say quite quite a lot there. Should we just focus on the history? <laughs> <laughs> in, we'll in terms of a rounded student then a rounded being regardless of what the exam sets you know i mean history is all about being inquisitive it's about being you know critical when you see something it's about understanding the past for example i don't know looking at artifacts what different types of artifacts what can we learn from them i, I come from a very um historic city so there's a lot of you know roman heritage um where i am for example and, you know you can the history could just be kind of going out and just york, exploring yeah? yeah york yeah yeah, yeah. so we've got like you know we've got the, 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 the roman war that's kind of you know pretty much intact you can literally you know walk it about a couple of miles and we've got the city bars and or, you know that literally like that literally part of the war so it's like a um uh, you know, something you can actually physically drive under or walk under, and it's just it, it's beautiful. We have Minster, we have, we have a lot of kind of history and heritage, and I think that history is often often when I when I see students, they, the first thing they say to me is, "Oh, history is really boring," and I disagree with them. I say, "Yeah, of course it is. If your teacher's boring, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and be bored for an hour with you. You know, let's make it fun." And we kind of we try and I try and kind of inspire them. But I think I was inspired very much by the fact that my parents would talk about our own particular um, family history and heritage, which was obviously very different to. Um, you know, my family not 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 from uh, from, from England, so it was uh, you know looking at that, and that's what gave me that love of learning. And I feel that 
especially in um, in Britain today, um, history is still seen a bit of a controversial one because some people feel the curriculum is um, diversifying and, and, and may make it more relevant. And it's, it's true, you know, we do have a very diverse population. I think the the interesting thing is, although on the surface it's very diverse, it's certain cities or it could be certain schools that are quite diverse. And in, I've worked in a lot of schools, for example, where I am the minority, I am that one. Let's, let's tick that box, you know, because you tick several and I'm probably the only one. Um, and that's very true when I'm when I'm working in places like York, for example. Um, and I think sometimes that disconnect. Some people say, "Well, why do you have to look at, um, you know, for example, if you're leaving, if you're looking at, you know, World War One, you could very very easily look at diversity within that because you could look at, you know, the contribution of a lot of Black and Asian soldiers and, and people from across the Commonwealth. And I think it's it's an interesting one because some schools do it really well. I think in quite diverse areas, like I've, I've worked in London and I've covered. Black history, when we look at black history in terms of African civilization prior to slavery, that's very obviously very important, very relevant. Yeah. But even nowadays, I often meet um, quite young people and they say to me that's not the case. Well, actually, when, when, it's, uh, when it is um, taught, it's taught in um, quite a negative manner and actually mm. um, it can lead to problems. So I'm, I'm always really open in the classroom and I always talk about respect and I always talk about the terminology we're going to be using, certain terminology that we won't be using. Um, and you know, and just kind of, you know, sometimes students will say things that are inappropriate, and we do have to stop a lesson. Sometimes have a, have a debate because I think that's healthier. And we talk about, for example, home language. You know, certain things. One one important thing to being a teacher is that you, you don't criticise home. You might, you know, you might have that in your head that oh my goodness, that's really shocking. But you can't bring that into the class, and you can't give that to a child. So you just turn around and say things like, for example, that's home language. We don't use that here that's inappropriate or and then sometimes you have to pick apart and you have to say actually that's either you know prejudice or racism or discrimination mm-hmm. whatever you do have to have that and uh, many a time over the years i've had to have a conversation but i think it's also really dangerous to, to, to shut children down because all you do when you shut something down okay. you can just make it somewhere else so um all so, right yeah. but specifically uh, are there are there are there periods and places okay i get local history i, I get that there's going to be a relevant very mm. much a local history, very much to the to the village, town, city where you live. That that's definitely something that um that you'd want people to look into and, and, and mm. their own stories of how they or their families got to where, you know, to that place. That's that's I get that and that and that makes a lot of sense. So in a general sense, then are there other are there other histories in terms of times or places or incidents that are kind of more general? You think you know, everybody should pretty much everybody let's say in the UK then, let's not even say around the world, but maybe around the yeah. world. Are there are there things you think that yeah, you definitely would include uh something like that? Could it be, you know, something to do with, you know, the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire, you know, so could it could be with the um Yeah. I mean we it's interesting in year seven for example where children go to their third year in second school uh, so they're 11 years old yeah we would often um we'd start off we want to kind of inquiries to what is history and all that kind of stuff one of the first units you'll cover generally is roman history and then and that, which is obviously important it's relevant it, it, it okay not so much history. what they do you know i'm asking now you if you almost like if you were the uh you know, if you yeah, and and what you think, what have you come to think is what are what are the what are the sort of you know, and if someone here wants to teach their children at home, for example, and they were looking at you know what periods and you know what things should I be looking to study over the next two years with my child in terms of history, you know this might include them going to museums and so on, 
but they want to have a focus. They want to do a history um, project or something. So, you know, what what would you recommend? You know, what comes to mind? I know it's it's you know you can change it any time, obviously. But um, what would come to mind? You say that's an interesting period to look at. Mm, I suppose, I suppose, yeah, Romans, Greek, Greek. We don't do so much. Of, uh, I'm trying to think what I've really. I mean, I've really connected with when I was younger. I connected with elements of of, of World War One uh, and World War Two, and um, especially well, World War Two more because I was kind of interested in in, in dictators, which I know sounds quite strange. But my my family came from a country where we had an active dictator, so I find that quite interesting. I think history is so. It, it's subjective. I mean, when you, whatever you, you, you could just you could find a period of time that resonates with you. So for some people, it's the Industrial Revolution. It's not so much for me. I do think there's elements of that that can be quite boring, because it is. And yeah. so trying to find a way of uh, making it alive. And I think a lot of history, uh, I think when you when you hinge on a narrative and you're looking at individual people's stories, that's quite uh, an interesting thing to do. Isn't it? I mean, the history of medicine, for example, you can look at we you, you look at the the history of the NHS, which I think is, is, is really fascinating, actually, when you look at really early modern history within that, you can look at the Egyptians. Again, that's um, fascinating. I think, for me, I would say the most important thing a, a parent can do is I think, look at a family's history. I mean, your own personal history, because you might not get that in school. Um, and then even within that, within school, for example, you look at the Tudors, I think, you know, people like Henry VIII are, are fascinating, very interesting. But even within that, there's actually a lot of diversity that, that's kind of... Um, excluded from it and we, we tend to see that time as not having anybody that, that's different and anybody that, that, that's non-white but actually that isn't true so I feel like first of all just go with expose your child to lots of different things like the horrible histories uh, series are quite good and that okay. does have a lot of diversity within that and then see what your child is interested in and, and go to certain museums that will that will kind of explore the different types of history and expose them to all different types and if there's something they, they, that really resonates with them then then you know feed that uh, that interest you know can you know whether it's more reading or documentaries there's lots of different things and then you know, sometimes if a child really does engage with it, there's ways you can kind of do like an actual, like a, you know, part of a dig or an excavation. There's, there's lots of stuff that happening around the UK. Obviously, things are a little bit uh, not quite up and running as they were at the moment, but once things get back to normal, I think that brings history a bit more alive and also show them what can be done with it. I mean, I yes, I've, I've become a, a history teacher, but that, that wasn't something that I was um, initially set out to do. And I've done lots of stuff um, prior to it and, and throughout it, so it's... Um, it's an interesting thing. Like but I think an archaeologist, you're, you're, you mean? Yeah, it could be an archaeologist. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can be a researcher. It doesn't have to be research and particularly anything historic. But the skills that you learn, the essay writing skills, the uh, the inquisitive nature of, uh, of of history and humanity generally, uh, are lifelong skills. But I think it's it's kind of understanding that and. and it's bringing things to life and making things exciting. Even you know, drama and role play. Often, I will do that in a in a classroom because it can't just be you know, the whole kind of chalk and talk. You would literally <laughs> draw your children, your students to death. No, nobody wants that. Um, but yeah, I think I think the most important thing is definitely family history and heritage because I think that, uh, and even within your own kind of community, often when I see friends or I meet them for, for the first time, one of the things I actually like to explore is, is other people's personal history. I, I always find it really fascinating. <laughs> Does that yeah, mean yeah. your nosy Parker? <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> explore. But I, I, just, I think it's, it's that people down. Well, you know, tell me about I don't know. 
I know a fair bit about Bosnian history only because it's nothing I've ever talked, uh, I've ever you know looked at formally. It's from from people in my circle or from from friends who uh, who are from an Asian background. You know, they'll tell me the stories of how their family came to this country, and there's, there's so many. I think it's hinging it on a narrative is just uh, the most exciting thing because it makes it really human. Um, you know, and that's. Even as a child, you know, they'd give us these projects to do at school and say things like, you know, talk to your grandparents about what life was like during the war. And I couldn't do that. You know, that that, that wasn't so I had to when we had, you know, we were lucky we had, um, you know, elderly um, neighbours that we could kind of speak to and we could, we could ask and find that out. But I think especially if, you're, if your cultural heritage isn't, you know, white British, there'll be even the generations back, however you know, your family came to this country, that's also really fascinating. And, oh. you know, I managed to do that as a, as a study a few years ago. It was lovely bringing everyone, every child, <laughs> person, you know, how we all ended up um, in that classroom in that day and age. It actually, is, that, that is definitely something to look at, actually. That, 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 yeah, that route to how everybody got where we are when we meet together. You you mentioned the other day tuition centres. Are they, are they separate from tutors? Are they something different from... Yeah. Yeah, they are. So um, I've worked in a few tuition centres in the past, and what they do is, so for example, having a tutor that kind of comes home uh, and just, you know, wants, that is a bit more expensive because you're paying for particular individual time. Mm-hmm. But if you go to a tuition centre, it's a way of being able to have a very small uh, group of students with one teacher, and it does make it a bit more affordable um, for okay. parents. And who, who um, runs the tuition centres? Are they part of... This one, they're generally independent. Oh, they are independent, um, okay. Yeah, they are independent. Um, and I think I've worked for a few that are independent, but there's some that are attached to, they call it uh, the Explore, I think it is, Explore, like learning and sentence. Often they'll be tagged onto like a, a supermarket, it's not quite strange, but I think there's a, a lot of things we'd have them kind of attached as a little unit. So that's where probably helps bring the cost down and whatnot. But they do, um, yeah, they do have um, teachers, but like, generally I think it's maths. And, sci- uh, and English, possibly some science as well. Um, and you just find them by, so you, you just sort of go into the internet and type tuition centre near me or something like that and you find them? Yeah, 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 exactly, okay. yeah. You can even ask around, um, yeah. And sometimes, I mean, some, uh, you know, some teachers might might do their own uh, online for, for, for a group okay. of people. So. There but was yeah, something tuition. else I hadn't asked you, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm conscious the time's moving on, but I haven't, I haven't, I, uh, we didn't touch on any of your, I know you're very much a poet, as well and you like poetry and we've discussed mm-hmm. you doing a show um on gprn which will include perhaps um which will perhaps include some poetry and perhaps will include uh some history <laughs> which um yeah. so what what is your what is your just a, a you know a quick word do you have a poem to hand or what's your um what's your whole thing of poetry what's your how do you get into this love of poetry um, so I, I would always write as a child. I was, um, yeah, always kind of like writing away and, you know, whether it was my thoughts and reflections and um, poetry. And then for a long time, um, I think after, I don't know when it was, I stopped. I probably stopped for, for, for many, many years. And then, funnily enough, when I started teaching um, English and started teaching poetry and we were dissecting it in the classroom, you know, okay. it's on reawaken something in me and um yeah i mean i, I do all sorts of, of of poetry and it's just um i think it's it's good to be able to kind of articulate your your thoughts and feelings even if it doesn't have to be a poem but sometimes you can listen so actually that is poetic but i think it's just um it's a good way to kind of i think we should all be reflecting okay. uh so yeah it's one of those things that kind of comes even from reflections or conversations or even 
you know political things that are happening. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so do you? You, know, you don't have a poem to hand, do you? Do you have one right there next to you anywhere? That you I could just... do have a poem. To I'm hand. doing well. <laughs> Good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always uh, I'm always writing. So let's see. Okay, so this is okay. A bit of a political one, I suppose. Uh, this one's called Street Paved with Gold. Um, so gold, Say it again. black, and they're called Streets Paved with Gold. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll go into it. Right. The streets of England, this great land of empire, trade, and wealth, are paved with gold. Their upright ladies and gentlemen love their nation and their inhabitants. They educate and medicate their civilians and their guests for free. The streets of England, this great land of peacemakers, manufacturers and nation builders are paved with gold. Your ancestors who loved their home nation found themselves inhabitants of this new land. They educated and medicated these citizens and their guests with their lives. The streets of England, this great land of slave traders, imperialist imported ideas and arms dealers are paved with gold. You were raised upright by your kin and community, taught to love your ancestral home alongside this new nation and its inhabitants. You'll be educated and medicated, though in reality it won't really be for free. The streets of England, this great land of stop and search, point-based immigration bills and child migrant programs are paid with gold. These are bright ladies and gentlemen who so dearly love this nation, stigmatised as black and brown people, classified as interskilled and beneficial, protected as inhabitants by shipping thousands of its native British children to its former colonies, to a life of torture, torment and turmoil. They only educate and not medicate certain civilians and their guests, leaving them to languish and long for a, a land to really call home. So that's street paper gold. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Maysoon. Um, I make sure you get your name right. People must not call you Missoon or Mysoon. It is Maysoon. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Um, we'll, um, you know, and um, you may have to send me the words to that poem because I'm sure people ask for it. Of course, yeah, yeah, and obviously there's a yeah, there's a, a level of uh, um, yeah, it's been kind of quite tongue in cheek part, but yeah, of course, yeah, feel free, and I'll um, yeah, to, to share that. That's no problem at all. All right, okay, thank you very much, Basun.